Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome to the PKN Packaging News Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Lindy Hewson, Managing Editor and Publisher of PKN Packaging News and the host of this show. G'day, Lindy. Can you please tell us about our topic and our guest for this episode? Well, hello, Grant. I am so excited about this episode because as a packaging journalist, this allows me to combine my love of language, working with words, communication, along with my keen interest in packaging and the challenges of packaging waste. And today, our topic topic is to explore the way that we talk about plastic and how that can help or hinder behavior change. Now, what brought this about is that there's been some research published. Monash University researchers have found that tailored messaging is more likely to influence consumers to change their reliance on and use of single-use plastics. So researchers from Monash Sustainable Development Institute's research enterprise called BehaviourWorks Australia conducted a study of over a 1,000 Victorian adults to determine how media content about plastic could influence perceptions in intentions and behaviors of two groups, one the plastic users and the other plastic avoiders. Now, it's believed to be the first of its kind. This research was led by Dr. Kim Borg, Professor Joe Lindsay, and Dr. Jim Curtis, and it was published in the paper called Targeted Change Using Behavioral Segmentation to Identify and Understand Plastic Consumers and How They Respond to Media Communications. And this was published in the journal Environmental Communication. Now, I'm so excited because with us in the studio today is Dr. Kim Borg, and she is here to tell us all about the research and its findings. Welcome, Kim. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, Kim, before we get going on the nitty-gritty of the research, I think it would be useful, certainly for me and for our audience, if we start off with a definition of what you mean by single-use plastics. Absolutely. So, I've been doing this research in partnership with the Victorian Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning, and the focus area we're looking at is, in particular, looking at Uh, problematic and unnecessary single-use plastics. So these are items that are typically used for only a few minutes at a time and they're really designed to be used once and then discarded. So for example, single-use plastic bags, even though they may be reused maybe once as a bin liner, they're still ultimately destined for landfill. Um, Plastic straws, they're not recoverable or recyclable. Uh, single-use disposable coffee cups. Again, they have that thin plastic liner, which makes them almost impossible to recover, and plastic takeaway food containers. Now, some of those may be reusable at home, but things, uh, particularly things like the polystyrene and styrofoam containers are absolutely not recoverable and definitely problematic when it comes to uh, waste and recovery. So there's a difference um, between these types of single-use items that you've covered in your research to other items that might be, for example, a tube of ointment that uh, gets used several times over a long period of time, but might still end up, the tube might still end up in landfill if it isn't of a recyclable nature. Um, That's not quite deemed unnecessary because it's a necessary product. So it doesn't fall into the same category, if I understand you. 
Yeah, so there's definitely different categories, different layers when we're talking about plastics and even single-use plastics. Um, the ones that we've been focusing on, as mentioned, are really these problematic and unnecessary items. Um, where they're, they're, they're not only problematic and unnecessary, but there are also alternative options where you can still engage in the underlying behaviour. So I can still, you know, have a drink at a cafe. I can still do my grocery shopping. I can still get a takeaway coffee cup, but I can do something else to avoid the single-use option. So I can drink straight from a glass, I can bring reusable bags, or I could um, dine in and, and drink out of a mug instead of having a takeaway cup. So that's what I mean by these kind of unnecessary and problematic items. But absolutely, there are different levels of single-use where, uh, you know, packaging in particular is a whole other ball game. And I have personally stayed away from that because it's a bit trickier and a bit messier. Okay, so let's work with what you've worked with and let's let's start at the beginning. What was the framework for this research? How did you set it up? Sure. So what we were looking at was not only how we talk about particular problems around plastic, but how different people are using these single-use items and what is influencing whether they use or whether they avoid it. So avoiding being exactly those behaviours I mentioned before around switching to reusables, uh, refusing unnecessary items, or even options like dining in. So we did a whole range of analyses to understand, first of all, if there were different patterns in how people were using the single-use items, so were some people using certain items and avoiding others, or was everyone using all the items or avoiding all the items? And it turned out that it, it really was that latter area around people were either plastic avoiders or plastic users. Um, the second part of our research was to look at whether individuals' perceptions or behaviours could change depending on how we talked about the plastic pollution and the plastic waste crisis because we know that we are generating far too much plastic waste and we need to do something about that. So we undertook some research where we first identified these two different groups and we then showed them different short video clips from existing documentaries about plastic pollution that talks about the problem in slightly different ways to see whether their perceptions or behaviours would change. And the framework we were working with in particular as a behavioural scientist, um, I was looking at the role of social norms in shaping people's behaviour. Now, social norms are the unwritten rules that guide and constrain human behaviour based on what we believe most other people are doing and what we believe others will approve and disapprove of. And I know from, from previous research that we had also done that the more we think others are avoiding single-use plastic, the more likely we are to avoid it ourselves because we want to be normal and we don't want to be weird. So we don't want to take a reusable container into a takeaway food shop if everyone is going to stare at us and think that we are the strangest person in that room. But if we see other people doing it, if we hear our friends talking about them doing these behaviours in other contexts, we're more likely to do it ourselves. And in particular, I wanted to know whether media was actually shaping our perceptions about what's normal. So, Kim, could you give me um, a couple of examples of the actual video content that you showed this group of, of participants? I'm interested, for instance, um, did you use any of David Attenborough's recent documentary? 
Yes, and I love that you brought that up. So one of the uh, reasons that I wanted to look at this is because I started uh, looking into this area in about 2018. And if you recall, in 2017, we had David Attenborough's Blue Planet 2 that was released. And we also had uh, Australia's War on Waste that was released, both of those around 2017. And initial reports that were coming out indicated that both of those series were having quite a lot of positive impacts on people's behaviour, where there was reports of people, uh, you know, Googling plastic recycling a lot more. There was reports, I think it was a 400% increase in use of Keep Cup, the reusable cup um, in Australia after war on waste. And so I really wanted to know if these, you know, positive effects that we were seeing cropping up in the news whether that was actually translating to normalising plastic avoidance or was it actually normalising plastic use. And the reason for that is that different clips and different series and and different films tend to emphasise different parts of the plastic waste problem. And the way that, or the the part of the problem that we emphasise can actually influence how we respond to those messages. So I did use clips from Blue Planet 2 and from War on Waste. Uh, The one from War on Waste was from Series 2, which featured Australia's plastic footprint. So that's how much plastic waste Australians generate every minute in the shape of a footprint on, I think it was Bondi Beach, um, which actually highlights how big a problem this is But it also highlights how normal using single-use plastics is because there's a lot of plastic in that pile. Now, the clip from Blue Planet 2, instead of focusing on the volume of plastic waste, it focused on the impact that plastic pollution has on wildlife. And it did feature David Attenborough at the start, giving an introduction to plastic littered on a beach. But then it was followed up with albatross who had actually died from consuming plastic. And so there's these two slightly different frames that we had around the the big scale of the problem versus the impact that it's having on the environment and in particular on wildlife. Now, I used four video clips in the end for the experiment, um, but the other two clips had similar sort of frames. So one focused on the volume of plastic waste at a global level that was taken from a film called A Plastic Ocean, and it featured a lot of plastic sitting in a landfill that doesn't go anywhere, takes a long time to break down. And then the final clip was from a film called Drowning in Plastic that was probably the most emotional clip of them all as it featured a baby bird that was being encouraged by scientists to regurgitate the contents of its stomach so that they could count how many plastic pieces were actually coming out. So again, focusing on volume versus focusing on impact. So what did you find um, was the response within the participant group? Um, So this is where things got really interesting for us because we had this expectation from a behavioural science perspective that the clips that focused on the volume of plastic waste would actually encourage people to think that plastic use was more common. And that's exactly what we found, but only for one of the groups. So in order to collect the data, we first collected people's initial perceptions, beliefs and behaviours. We then showed them the video clips. We then measured those perceptions and behaviours again to see if there was any differences. And then one month later, we surveyed them again to see if any of those differences persisted and if any of those intentions turned into actions. 
And what we found for plastic avoiders is that those who saw the landfill video clip that focused on the volume of plastic waste generation believed that others were avoiding plastic significantly less often one month later than they did in the baseline. Plastic avoiders thought that they were, they were part of a bigger group of people avoiding plastic. They then realised by seeing those landfill videos that, in fact, the problem was bigger than they thought um, and that there were less people doing what they are doing, avoiding plastic. Exactly. So they, they believe that most other people were avoiding plastic, the same as themselves. But after watching this video clip, they realise that maybe the problem is bigger and maybe people are using it more often, which is actually not true because we have done some other research that finds that most people are actually avoiding more than we might realise that they are. But we tend to think that we are often better than everybody else. Okay, so then let's move to the other side of the equation. How did the plastic users feel um, after they were shown the environmental impact clips? On one side, we anticipated that viewing those waste volume focused ones would have a negative influence on social norm perceptions. What we were hoping though is that if we didn't focus on the volume of waste production, we would see some positive influences on you know, perceived benefits of avoiding plastic and hopefully with intentions to avoid. And while we didn't see that with avoiders, probably because they're already avoiding most of the time, we did see that with the plastic users. So those plastic users who saw the impact focus clips, so the ones that focused on the impact that plastic has on wildlife, believed that they would benefit from avoiding plastic. So they believed that they would feel good they also intended to avoid single-use plastic significantly more often immediately after they saw the clip. But what's most exciting is that one month later, those plastic users who saw the impact-focused clips actually reported avoiding single-use plastics more often. And it was just a short two-minute video that showed the impact that plastic is having on wildlife. There was no mention of other people's behaviour. It was purely impact. And for one of the videos, as I mentioned, there's definitely an emotional component going on as well. So coming out of that, do you think that um, the people who were the avoiders before and now got the message that, well, this problem is just enormous, would that change their behaviour in any way or would they continue to avoid but feel more despondent about it? So there's a risk that those who believe that others are avoiding less often might actually avoid less often themselves because we we do tend to be drawn to what the norm is. So even if we are engaging in a particular environmental behaviour, if we think that other people around us are not doing that behaviour as often – we tend to graduate towards that. And we've seen that in the case of energy consumption. So when we tell people how much energy they're consuming, people who are consuming less than average, who are doing the right thing, actually start to consume more energy because they want to be normal for the same reason. So there is that risk that we will see that happening. Um, the good news is with our research from this one exposure to the short video clip, we didn't see a change in the behaviour of those people. But as you point out, we do run the risk of making those people feel a little bit more despondent or a little bit more like their efforts are maybe not contributing as much as they had hoped. 
So it really highlights, number one, that we need to be careful about these unintended consequences that we can have in the way that we communicate about problems. And it shows that we need to test messages with different audiences. So we're not just worried about the behaviour of the people who we are trying to change. We don't want to unintentionally discourage or change the behaviour in a negative way of the people who are already complying with what we want. So, yeah, I mean, it is very interesting to me, all of the, because there's so many nuances here. And um, what, where we really want to get to is plastic avoiders, good on you, if you can, because some things can't be avoided. Plastic users, that's who we're wanting to target, to make them start to think differently, not necessarily only about using plastic, but more about how they dispose of it what they do with it in its afterlife as such. And so at the, at the, on the one hand, we have to have options for people. So I think of the behavior change that has been instigated, for example, with the removal of single-use plastic shopping bags and how it took a little time. Remember your bags, a bit of messaging around that. The options given by supermarkets, here's a paper bag now, here's a reusable cloth bag. And pretty soon, with the plastic bag removed from the equation, people made the change. So do you think that it's not just about messaging, but it's also about uh, other coercive <laughs> methods that need to be out there if you are in that area of environmental change? Yeah. So in, in designing behavior change interventions, regardless of what the behavior is, we talk about the, the need for a suite of different tools that encourage people to change their behaviour, whether that's through persuasive techniques like communication, so things like, you know, telling everyone what the norm is, the fact that a lot of people are avoiding, a lot of people are bringing their own reusable bags and things like that. Um, there are other techniques as well, though, such as environmental restructuring. So instead of having single-use plastic bags available next to the checkouts, you have reusable bags next to the checkouts and you have signs in the car park that say, remember your reusable bag. But then there are also some of the more you know, in terms of carrot and stick approaches around incentivizing people to, to engage in the behavior that we want, but also having those other more enforced <laughs> behavior change techniques. So, for example, you know, banning plastic bags is definitely an option. Banning other single-use items is definitely an option as well. And I think it's on the cards a lot around the country at the moment. There's a lot of upcoming bans that are planned. Um, other options are things like using financial disincentives. So, instead of giving people a discount when they bring their reusable coffee cup, charging them an extra 50 cents if they're using a disposable cup. Um, what's really interesting from a behavioural science perspective is that you can charge people the same amount for a disposable and a reusable. So say it's, you know, $2.50 for, I don't know how much coffee is, $2.50 for a disposable cup. You clearly do not know how I much do coffee not know. is. <laughs> I, I drink coffee at home because I don't buy a takeaway anymore. Okay, what, what's a more reasonable amount? Say $3.50 for a $4. takeaway 50? cup. $4.50? $4.50, oh my gosh, okay. <laughs> Let's say it's $4.50 for a disposable coffee cup and $4 if you bring a reusable. If the messaging that the cafe uses is that you get a discount for bringing a reusable, 
we tend to not see that much behaviour change. We will see a little bit, but not too much. Whereas if you tell people they're being charged for taking a disposable cup, we see a significant change in behaviour because people are far more likely to change their behaviour if they think they're going to lose something. Just on the whole coffee cup scenario, what I would like to talk about now is the impact that COVID has had because we were trending up with the keep cup scenario and suddenly we had a situation where coffee shops couldn't allow you to bring your own (laughs) germ-ridden coffee cup in and we had to flip back into using more takeaway containers for food, more um, the single-use coffee cups again. Um, did, Did you, in terms of the timing of your research, was there any impact along the way? Did you notice any of this? So with my research, all of the data that we collected, all of the the surveys that we ran, the experiments was all done in uh, 2019. So it was before the pandemic hit. But obviously, you know, I've been I've been looking at the results. I've been reading the research that's come out. I've been speaking to a lot of practitioners in this space as well. And the impact of COVID is fascinating because it's very much a mixed response or at least a perceived mixed response about whether our plastic consumption has increased or decreased. Now, in some ways, we know that there are new single-use plastic items that are starting to come on the scene that weren't there before. So single-use masks, gloves, and other sort of protective equipment, particularly in hospital and, and healthcare environments. But they pale in comparison to the increase that we've seen in a lot of these single-use takeaway food and beverage packaging. Um, Now, what's most interesting about that is why there was that increase, because there was never official guidance from the government saying, no, you can't accept reusable cups or you can't accept reusable containers. But there was this underlying perception throughout the industry that if we are trying to reduce contamination and if we are trying to reduce contact, then we should try and reduce how much we're accepting things from the outside world. Um, The irony is that if everyone is practicing good hygiene and bringing clean containers in anyway, it's not an issue. Um, So there was definitely an element of, as you mentioned a lot of people were starting to avoid, a lot of people were embracing reusables. And that was one of the first big findings that came out of my research is that we're actually embracing avoidance far more than we realise. And in fact, we think that we are avoiding, but other people maybe not so much. Whereas the truth is, in Victoria at least, quite a lot of people are are on this um, journey towards plastic avoidance. But now COVID has made things much, much harder for those reasons, as well as others such as, you know, our attention is is elsewhere. So it's a lot harder to have environmental messages cut through when we are so focused on our health and our well-being and our livelihoods and, you know, the economy and our children. So trying to encourage people to avoid single-use plastics when they are stuck at home and can barely, you know, it can barely work, let alone do homeschooling and everything else is actually adding, you know, extra things to people's plates that then they just don't have the mental space or the, the physical time to, to deal with. Um, on the other hand, there's some interesting research that came out uh, recently around 
a lot of people were actually quite open to this environmental messaging and were taking up new challenges such as Plastic Free July because it was one of the few things that they could control in this crazy, uncertain time. So there are a lot of environmental behaviours that people actually started engaging in more often. And I think uh, Plastic Free July actually saw the highest uptake of its program in the last couple of years, year on year, even though we're in the middle of this pandemic where we know it's becoming a lot harder. But it is something that we can still control in our day-to-day life. So if you do have the time... (laughs) Um, then there's lots of things that you can do that are maybe less about those public behaviours around, you know, coffee cups and takeaway containers and more about looking at your shopping habits and, you know, switching out things like single-use razors for a reusable metal razor or buying items in bulk instead of having, you know, single packages that that come in a lot of different um, items. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a there's an almost endless list of things that that subtle changes that can be made. But if we come full circle now to the premise that we started with, and that is looking at the way we talk about plastic uh, and the plastic problem, what are your recommendations to media to communicators who are in this environmental space? So, for environmental communicators, the good news is there are a few easy things that we can do to try and encourage people to avoid more often when it is within their control. Um, So this includes, you know, sending the message out there that a lot of people are actually avoiding plastic already, which we know, as I mentioned from some other research we've done. And the more we can get that message across that avoidance is becoming normal, we know that more people will start to take it up because they know they're not going to be the weirdo (laughs) who's trying to avoid plastic. It's not just the the greenies and the environmental um, people who are avoiding. It's actually a lot more of us these days. Um, The second part is that some of these uh, clips that we tested, particularly the one from uh, drowning in plastic of the the poor baby bird (laughs) regurgitating pieces of plastic, So this clip, one of the reasons I picked it is because it's already quite prevalent on social media. I think when I initially selected it for the experiment, it had been viewed something like 30 million times across the world. And what I now know from the experiment is that even that incidental exposure to this little two-minute clip can actually have a positive impact on encouraging avoidance among plastic users. So for environmental communicators, looking for similar videos like that, similar clips, similar images that have that impact focus, maybe with that emotional twinge attached to it, um, can be a really cost-effective way of encouraging the message around plastic avoidance. Well, Kim, that all makes a lot of sense. And um, certainly in my line of work, I do understand the importance of using your words carefully. Um, But I'm preaching to the converted most of the time because the packaging industry, although we are generators of plastic, we are also very hard at work at finding solutions, whether it's taking coffee cups and turning that into building materials, whether it's, you know, changing art options and having paperboard options that are a solution for takeaway containers. There are various, there's lots of work going on is really what I'm trying to say. So certainly words matter. 
and um, yours matter today. Thank you very much for joining us and sharing your research. I'm keen to know, just as we part, um, what is your next research project going to be about? <laughs> Uh, so currently I'm actually working on a large collaboration with a few different uh, partners that we have at Behaviour Works on responsible consumption. So it's a very similar space, um, but we're looking at a much, much bigger, <laughs> much more messy space to understand how we can change our consumption behaviours and our lifestyles to really align with the sustainable development goals. So that idea of promoting prosperity while also protecting the planet, um, which so far we're still in the very early stages around scoping and prioritising, you know, where are we actually going to focus on this from a behaviour change perspective? Um, but it's looking really promising and I keep using the description of there's definitely a healthy tension and it's definitely a challenge, but it's one we're ready to take on. Well, we're really looking forward to finding the results of that study too. Thank you, Kim, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you, Kim. Thanks, Lindy. And of course, thanks to our audience for joining us for this episode. Don't forget, if you enjoyed this one, please like us on iTunes or in your podcatcher of choice, if it offers that, because uh, this helps others find our episodes. But don't forget, we'll be back in the not too distant future with another informative show. But until then, have a great day. The PKN Podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.